interesting. So I kind of grew up on the on this kind of thing too here, Les and Sharon. And you know, it's interesting, eh? There are a whole bunch of black dots and stuff. Did you notice that? That were above and below, and you could sort of follow them up and down if you. <laughs> Never mind. That's just trying to be silly. So I guess it was silly enough. I uh, got a couple of laughs. Uh, there, so I like all kinds of music too. I know there's some people who think there are only two kinds of music, country and western. Uh, but, you know, God, it's interesting how God has used just this huge variety of different kinds of music to glorify him, even rap. <gasps> really? <laughs> and the Lord is just a lot bigger, and he uses these powerful things in wonderful ways, so that's really good. Uh, I want us to read a story this morning from the Bible, and when I say a story, I don't mean something fiction. I mean a real thing that happened, but it's the story about how it happened from Matthew chapter 14, and our, we've been going through this thing, follow me together. Follow who together? Well, Jesus, right? Following Jesus together, and the idea that really all of us together, we're meant to encourage one another and walk together and move together as we follow Jesus. We're never alone in this thing, and oh, we really need one another to help us along the way and encourage us along the way. And you know, Ruth and I came here to be with you um, shortly after the, the death of Ron Seabrook. And Ron had been an incredible encouragement to many of you to really come to know the Lord and to really walk passionately with the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, I think that God is calling us to walk with one another together, to step into the place where Ron was with somebody else who's maybe younger in the faith than we are and encourage them and pray with them and um, help them walk with Jesus too. So follow me together. So uh, we're going to read this, um, and I think I'm going to ask you to stand again. Hope you're not too tired of that, but we stand out of reverence for God's word. I think maybe I've said it before. We don't worship this book. This is not the fourth person of the Trinity, but we love this book because God has spoken to us through his word, and the Holy Spirit of God uses the word of God to touch and change the lives of the daughters and sons of God so that we're conformed more into the image of Jesus, the Son of God, all to the glory of God. So we love the Word of God. We're going to read this together. And I'd be glad if you would um, read this with me. Okay? So let's do this. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Let me stop you for a minute, okay? Jesus dismissed them. He's just finished feeding the 5,000 people, and uh, so now he's dismissed them. So this is about Jesus, my favorite character in the whole world, and one of my other favorite characters, Peter, is going to come up here in just a second. So here we are. We're, okay, help me again. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves, because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, 
They were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, but, oh, I think I got lost here. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And be, I think we need to go back one. I missed. There we go. This is what Jesus said. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. I think there's another one here. Let me just check and see. Okay, technical difficulties, but the next thing that happens is, I'm going to just finish it in my Bible. This is a hard copy right here. <laughs> uh, so here we go. I just want you to know what happened after they got in the boat, because this is pretty cool. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped Jesus, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. And Lord, we ask you now as we look into your word that you'll, you'll teach us, you'll open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts to receive what you have for us today so that we're transformed more into the image of Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So that was my fault. I think I, I, that was my fault. So here we go. All right. Um, the first thing that I want to do today is to set the stage. And um, I don't have all the points for this, so if you're taking notes, you're just going to have to scribble them down as we go. The, there are five things that we see as we read this story. And the first thing is that it said it was the fourth watch of the night. So I'll read this to you. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now, the watches of the night, we don't use this kind of measurement anymore, but what they did was they live close to the equator and the sun sets at, do you know, at the equator? Six o'clock every night. They don't have the seasons like we have them like this. So six o'clock is when the night starts and they've divided into three hour segments. So from six to nine is the first watch of the night. From nine till midnight is the second. From midnight till three in the morning is the third watch of the night. But this is the fourth watch of the night, which is after three o'clock in the morning. So they're out there. What it means is that these guys have gone out on the lake and they've started to row across the lake and they've been rowing for nine hours from six o'clock till three o'clock in the morning and they still haven't gotten across this lake. Nine hours of hard rowing. Now, I happen to like canoes, and I like uh, wilderness camping, and I'm just recalling a time when we were in Algonquin, and we went way back, and so we, we canoed, uh, and we stayed way back there, but portages and so on. When we were coming out, 
we, we, we portaged, we canoed, portaged, and canoed, and then we came to Canoe Lake, which is this long lake, which sort of looks like a canoe, okay? It's kind of long and, and narrow, and the wind was against us, and it was hard paddling, and the waves were coming and crashing over the bow. It was kind of scary, honestly. It was kind of scary, but that wasn't nine hours of hard paddling. So these guys, they're, terif- they're not only terrified, they're exhausted. The second thing we see is that the scripture says they were still far from land. So they should have gone across easily. But what happened was as they started to go, the wind blew them and blew them off course and into the middle of the lake even farther against them. The third thing was they were buffeted by the wind and the waves. Battered is sort of a logical, um, a more realistic and literal uh, term that's used here. They're just getting pummeled by these waves. The fourth thing is, where's Jesus? There's no Jesus. He's not with them in the boat. And there's another time when Jesus is with them in the boat, and they're still afraid. But this time, Jesus isn't there. And do you kind of get the feeling like, hey, Jesus told us to get in the boat. He told us to go over there. He's going up to pray, and he's going to meet us sometime. But we obey him, and now look at us. We're in the middle of this storm. We're going to die. Must have been some frustration. And that brings us to the fifth observation, setting the stages that they're terrified. Now, someone said they were double parked, which means they were actually beside themselves with fear. Well, they are terrified. It's awful. So here they are. And I wonder what their conversation was like in the boat, Um, because Jesus waited a long time to come. And when we wait a long time for Jesus to come, don't we get kind of frustrated and upset and we forget? And what did these guys forget? They had just seen Jesus feed 5,000 people with a few little loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And a little bit before that, they saw a, a young girl who died actually be raised from the dead. And they saw a woman who had an issue of blood and was suffering for so many years. And Jesus just healed her when she touched the hem of his garment. They've seen all this stuff. And now they're out in the middle of this lake and they forget. And I think I might have mentioned to you at one time that uh, I had studied Hebrew and forgotten most of it by this point. But I remember my Hebrew professor telling us in the class that one of the most important words in Hebrew is zakar. Zakar means remember. Can you say zakar? Your first Hebrew lesson then. Remember. Now, why is this such an important word? And he looked at us and he said, because we all forget. In the midst of a crisis, we all forget how good and powerful and wonderful our Lord Jesus is and how faithful he is in all things. We so easily forget. And these good brothers of ours, they forgot. And so they were filled with fear and terrified. And I would refer you back to a number of weeks ago when when Gary preached on follow me out of fear. Do you remember that message? I think that I know that it really touched a number of you because we naturally fear. 
when we're in the midst of some kind of a crisis. Um, so now Jesus comes to them, finally, in the midst of their fear and their waiting, Jesus comes to them walking on the water, and he says to them, take courage, it is I. Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Jesus reminds them that he is present there to help them. And there's a great comfort in, in this, that for all of us, in the midst of the storms of life for us, Jesus comes to us and he says, don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Um, one of the stories I read as a young Christian was by Corey Ten Boom. And uh, she and her family were in Nazi Germany, actually in Holland, but it was under the rule of Nazi Germany. And they hid Jews in their house, and they finally were captured and sent to a concentration camp. And one of the things I remember is that Corey and her sister Betsy were in this concentration camp together. And Corey was sort of of the nature where she would have gouged the eyes out of the guards who were keeping them. But Betsy had this gentle, peaceful spirit about her. And one of the quotes that she made was, there is no pit so deep that God is not there. That's that heart of remembrance that no matter how bad the storm gets, Christ is with us in the midst of it all. And so he is. So um, here, here we come then to Peter and his little uh, conversation with the Lord Jesus. So they're afraid. They think it's a ghost. In verse 27, Jesus says, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And Peter says this outrageous thing. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, why would Peter ever say that? Wouldn't he just say, okay, hurry up, Jesus, get over here and get in the boat and help us here? Because if it wasn't Jesus out there, if it was an apparition or a ghost, and the ghost said, yeah, come on, sure, jump out. I mean, he'd get out and he'd sink right away. This just doesn't make sense. So what is he doing? Why does he ever say this thing? It's actually kind of funny. Well, some people think that he's just a great risk taker. He doesn't care. Just, I'll jump out of the boat. I don't care. Let's go. Uh, some people think that he's kind of a showboat, that he just, he wanted to be the first one to walk on the water and everybody would praise him for it if he was able to do it, or that he was simply impetuous, always shooting off his mouth before he thought and acting before he actually reasoned things out. I think, so here's an interpretation. I think when Peter saw Jesus coming on the water, he knew exactly who he was, and he heard his voice, and his fear changed into courage, courageous faith. I want to ask you the question, what was it that changed his fear into courageous faith? And I'm, this is the interactive part of the message, so I'm waiting for you to answer. What was it that changed his fear into courageous faith? Jesus? Well, he, he remembered that he could have remembered some stuff. Anybody else? Help me. 
he saw Jesus. He saw Jesus and he heard his voice. And I think for us in our times of fear, it's exactly the same thing. When we see Jesus, when we remember him, when we hear his voice to us, our fear also changes to courageous faith. It's a wonderful thing for us to keep in touch with Jesus like this. Peter loved Jesus, and he had faith to believe if Jesus said, come on, jump in the water and walk to me, that he could actually do it. He had faith, but it turned out to be weak faith, didn't it? According to what Jesus said anyway. Now here's an absolutely fascinating fact about Jesus. Jesus never rejects weak faith. Jesus never rejects weak faith. The moment we put our faith in him, he loves it, he welcomes it, and he welcomes us as we take steps of faith towards him, even if it's weak faith. We may feel we have weak faith, but he accepts our weak faith, and he builds on it, and he works with it, and with great patience and care, Jesus takes our love and our faith for him, even if it's weak, and through the good times and the bad times of life, the successes and the struggles, he builds that faith and strengthens us. Why? Because Jesus loves us. He loves you, and he wants to build your faith in every circumstance. Why did Peter fall or fail? Next question. Why did Peter fall or fail? He got out of the boat, he started to go, and here we read in the text that uh, Peter got, got down out of the boat, walked on the water. He actually walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. He shifted his focus, didn't he? Before, he saw Jesus and he heard his voice. And when he saw him, he had the faith and he started to come. But once he got out there, he looked down at the waves and he, he felt the wind coming against him. When he shifted his focus, he started to fall. Faith is strengthened by being taken to its limits, being taken to the extreme edge of our faith, to a place where we've never been before, and we find Jesus there. As we're, our faith is stretched, we find Jesus there at the end of it. Uh, Jesus' brother, James, wrote later on in, in his book by the title James, he said this, Blessed is the person who perseveres under trial, who in a time of temptation and testing and trouble and struggle and storm, keeps on going and perseveres. For once they are approved, they will receive the crown of life, James 1 and 12. Persevering in times of difficulty. And you know, here we have a, a verse that we've looked at before and studied during the Hebrews series that was, I think, really important for all of us. But look at this. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. 
fixing our eyes on Jesus. This is where we set our eyes. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, the author and finisher of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured. Well, it's fascinating here. Um, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This passage has been used by a number of people for their life verse. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. It's been chosen by some as a marriage verse, as husband and wife, to say, Let's, this is our verse. Let's us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. If if we look at one another and our faults too much, we can have our difficulties. But if we keep our eyes on, fixed on Jesus, he'll help us walk through whatever comes before us. It's a beautiful thing. And it's a big, big lesson, I think, for all of us, that in the storms of life, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. This is a great comfort to us. So it brings us to our next question then. Um, where is Jesus when we fall or fail or have little faith? Well, where is he for Peter? He's right there. Peter just has to call out and Jesus reaches down and grabs him up and then they hop into the boat. He is there to rescue. Immediately, it says, Jesus stretched out his hand and he said, O oh, you of little faith, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I want to ask you a question, an interpretive question. How do you hear Jesus' voice when he says this? Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Do you hear Jesus' voice as a huge disappointment? Oh, Peter, you, you are such a disappointment. You are such a failure. You're such a loser. When are you ever going to learn? Do you hear Jesus this way? Because some of us heard our fathers or mothers speaking to us this way. And so we hear Jesus speaking that way as well. Do you hear Jesus speaking maybe with anger? Don't you ever try anything like that again. Who do you think you are? Because some of us have heard our parents talk to us like that. And we think that's the voice of God too. What about this? Do you hear Jesus saying with reassurance, Oh, Peter, you almost made it, man. You had faith. It was weak faith. But at least you got out of the boat. Look at you. And you know what? You're going to make it next time. Because together, we're going to strengthen your faith. How do you hear Jesus' voice. When you teach a little child to walk, what do you do when the kid falls over? When you're teaching a, a young kid to ride a bicycle, how do you respond when he gets all wiggly and, and crashes? Jesus is like this parent training us. He loves it when we take a risk of obedience. Whenever we step out of the boat and take a step of faith, he loves this. And some of us are very risk-averse people. 
Would that be true? Oh man, I'm not doing anything unless I know exactly how it's going to turn out. And it better turn out right the way I want it to be. Because I'm not taking any risks here. <laughs> and others of us are, you know, we'd love to jump out of a plane, you know, and do all this kind of stuff. No matter who we are, we're called by the Lord Jesus Christ to take that step out of the boat, to, to take risks for him in obedience to him. And it's amazing when we do, we all fail to some degree or other. Where's Jesus when we fail and fall or have little faith? So I want to just kind of paint a couple of verbal pictures for you here. And so stick with me for a moment, okay? We say that our sin separates us from God. Is that true? It's true. We think about God being holy, we're not holy, and our sin is this barrier between God and us. So what has Jesus done? We were celebrating this last weekend. Jesus has come here, and he has taken the debt of sin and the burden and the separation of sin, and he has moved it out of the way. So now we can connect with the living God through Jesus. A few weeks ago, Andreas preached a message about us being uh, yoked together with Jesus. Do you remember that? And so it's like we're in this yoke, we're tied together, and Jesus is pulling with all the strength, and, and we're pulling as well, but we're connected together. And uh, many of the scriptures talk about this, that we are in Jesus, and Jesus is in us, that we are connected so firmly with Jesus. When we trust Jesus and invite him into our life and become a Christian, we're linked with him this closely. And so now here's a new picture for us. When we fall, when we fail, even when we sin, where does Jesus go? Does he run away from us? Or is he still beside us with his arm around us? And he looks at that sin and he says, yeah, I know. I see it. Together, let's you and I, we're going to work on this thing together. And we're going to get this. Does he run from us because of our sin? Or are we yoked together with him and he says, I will never leave you and forsake you. I find this a really encouraging image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yoked together with us. Walking together. And we are never alone. Sometimes when we fail... We, I think we, we, we have this thing called the imposter syndrome. I'd never heard of that, that phrase before. Ruth and I came across it in some meditations we were doing during Lent, leaning, leading up to Easter. Daily meditations were really helpful. The imposter syndrome. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? When you, you know you love Jesus, but you're... you're you're struggling with something in your life. And maybe you fail, maybe you sin, and you say, oh man, am I an imposter? Do I even believe Jesus? Am I saved? Or whatever. The imposter syndrome. When we feel like we're failures. Where is Jesus there? I've trusted Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming to us to say, would you forget that imposter syndrome? If you've opened your life and you've let me in, I'm in. You're in me and I'm in you. 
you have a new identity. You have a new DNA. The DNA of the very family of God. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's walking with you the whole way. We have a new position yoked together with Jesus. Now, you may say, okay, yeah, I know, but I, God is righteous, and I'm not righteous. And I would beg to differ with you based on the word of God. Because Jesus says, you are righteous. I declare you righteous. And that's what the word justified means. We're justified by faith, right? God declares us righteous. We say, oh yeah, but I'm not righteous. Yes, we are in our new position. We're righteous. You say, well, I'm not holy. God's holy and I'm, I'm kind of unholy at times. I disagree with you. Based upon the word of God, that God calls you a saint, which means a holy one. You say, well, I don't always behave holy. God knows that. But he's still right here with his arm around you. Say, do you know what? Together, we're going to work on that sin. We're going to work on that failure. We're going to work on that struggle that you have. And he refines us, and he helps us to grow. And he helps us to become more like Jesus. Because you have been adopted. Whoever believes in Jesus, whoever receives him, God gives the right to be called the daughters or the sons of the living God. How amazing is that? He's with us, even in our failures. So we see ourselves yoked to Jesus, bonded to him, twinned with him. Because anyone who's in Christ is a new creature. The old is gone. The new has come. This is a piece of good news. And as we walk with Jesus, as we keep in step with the Holy Spirit, what happens? Jesus keeps working in us to refine us and to make us more like Jesus. So it brings us then to our, our last couple of points here. What is the result of Peter's failure and Jesus' rescue? And I want to read it to you from this verse. When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, verse 33. Then those who were in the boat worshipped Jesus, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. God gets the glory. Even when we fail and Christ picks us up and we fail again, but we keep walking with him, God gets the glory. And this is the first time, by the way, that the disciples have all agreed that Jesus is really the Son of God. They have seen him walking on the water and saving Peter. So, um, as we live and grow and fail and mature, Jesus gets recognition. And this is a great comfort for us. Uh, so now I have one more question. And uh, here we go. Where are the others? How many guys were in the boat? Do you know? Probably 12 anyway. Where are the other 11? Why is it only one guy who steps out? Jesus had sent them out on a mission before, two by two. Do you remember that? Why? Because we, we need one another. We're a community. We need to encourage and help and strengthen one another. As we go out on a limb, as we step out of the boat, we're meant to do all this in community. And I wonder if it would have made any difference if Peter or Andrew or one of the other guys had said, hey, I'm not Peter, Andrew or John or one of the, said, hey, Pete, just wait a second. I'll go with you. Wait a second. 
and hopped out, and maybe their two little pieces of faith had been enough to help them walk all the way to Jesus. I don't know. But very often, the faith of somebody else beside us is a great, great help to us. May we be this for one another. We were meant to follow Jesus together, brothers and sisters, encouraging one another, praying for one another, supporting each other, and serving side by side. And personally, I'm so glad that in the year that we were here with you, we never felt alone. (laughs) Many of you, I know, were praying for us and reminded us that you were praying for us, and we served together, um, and so on. I'm thankful for this. So here is the very last thing. Uh, Are we going? I'm pushing the button. Well, okay, I'll just have to give it to you. (laughs) Where do we need courage? Oh, yeah, where do we need courage to step out of the boat, out of our comfort zone? The boat was Peter's comfort zone, and he had to step out of it. So we've had a bunch of comforts here. Now comes to the challenge. Are you ready for this? I got four applications. The first one, maybe you're a young Christian. Maybe you're a new mom or dad. You're a young Christian, you say, I don't know how to pray. Or you're a new mom or dad, or you say, I don't know how to lead my family in, in, in following after Jesus. Or you're, there's some challenge like this for you. You can't pray out loud. You can't get the words to work for you. You fear saying the wrong thing. And others say it so much better than you do that you just, you just are quiet. You can't do it. Can you hear Jesus say to you, Take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. Ask somebody for help. Ask another more mature brother or sister in Christ for help. How do I pray? How do I lead my family to follow Jesus better? How do we have devotions around the table at home? First of all, we pray and we ask the Lord, help me with this. Then we ask somebody for help and then we make a plan and we move towards it. Sometimes people even write out their prayers at first. Do you know that? What do I thank God for? Just write it down. What am I asking God for? You write it down. And then you pray it out. So that's the first thing. Second thing, maybe you've been a part of a relational breakdown. There's been somebody who's been really difficult for you, and you've had some friction, and you're not friends anymore, but you were before. Um, It's not comfortable to go to the person at all. Can you hear Jesus say to you, take courage, it's I. Don't be afraid. Step out of the boat. We're called to be reconcilers in our world, aren't we? We're the people who make the first move. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, if you're worshiping and you know somebody's got something against you, stop worshiping. Just leave it. Get up and go and reconcile with the other person. And in Matthew 18, he sort of says it the other way around. If you know the other person has sinned against you, you go and reconcile with them. We're called to be reconcilers. And there's a lovely book called Peacemakers, which is very helpful for this, for me, is that the first thing we do is we pray and we say, Lord God, how I handle this conflict I've I've got to bring honor to you in the way I speak, in the way I behave. I've got to bring honor to you. And the second thing is, 
we take the log out of our own eyes. We, as we pray, we say, Lord, show me my part in this controversy. And the third thing we do is we go to them and we apologize for our part. And you say, yeah, but my part was like 1%, and his is 99%, and he should be coming to me. Yeah, of course, that's true. <laughs> but we go and we apologize for our 1%. And when we do that, God does a work in that heart and begins the reconciliation process. We step out of the boat. We're reconcilers. It's not comfortable, but it's who we are. Third application is this. COVID, lockdown, people are lonely, people are troubled, people are a little crazy maybe at times even. Big question then, how do we represent God well in a time of COVID? And you might ask a different question. Why don't people call me? Why aren't more people calling me? I mean, I thought people loved me. They should be calling me. Let's flip it. Can you hear Jesus say to you, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. We pray first of all, we say, Lord, is there somebody that I can call and encourage somebody during this time of COVID? Courage to get out of the boat, out of our comfort zone. And you might say, oh, I don't know what to say, what would I say? First thing we do is say, hey, hi, this is Doug from the church, how are you doing? How's COVID been for you? How are you doing these days? And usually a person will just start to talk and tell you a whole bunch of stuff. And maybe if they're just, you know, silent, you can say, well, let me tell you how it's been for me. And you talk a little bit about that. And if everything runs out of the conversation, you just say, well, how can I pray for you then? And then you pray for them. That's your phone call. And you've made a difference in the world in the name of Jesus. Stepping out of your boat out of your comfort zone to do this. I'd like to throw out a challenge. Would you call three people a day for the rest of this shutdown? Can you hear Jesus saying, you could be an agent for good in this time of loneliness for a lot of people? And here's the final thing. I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because it is the power of God for salvation. Where do we need to get out of the boat and have courage to share the good news of Jesus with people in our world? This is, this is kind of tough, is it? It's kind of tough at times. Do you have a list of friends, like five people that you know, they don't know Jesus yet, and you're going to pray for those people regularly? Maybe a neighbor, maybe a family member, maybe a friend or somebody at work or school. Pray for them regularly. And as you pray for them, ask them, Lord, what do I do? How do I get out of the boat and, and actually share Jesus with them somehow? And the first thing we'll do is, is we show interest in them. We, we build a relationship with that person. We listen to them and we see how they're doing. And we hear part of their story. And as we hear their story coming out, we can talk a little bit about our story as well, the story of our life. Something that Ruth and I have found, usually if we're talking to married couples, is that as, somebody, as soon as somebody starts to talk about they've had a little difficulty in their marriage, we say, oh, well, I empathize because we had a number of really rough years. You know, if it wasn't for the grace of God and the work of Jesus in our lives, I don't know where we'd be. But, oh, Jesus 
turned us around. I'm just telling you. Or in the midst of COVID, people might talk to you about how they're worried about COVID and how they, you know, maybe this is a conspiracy and the government's just trying to control us and everything's against us and so on. And you can talk about how in the midst of a storm, you're finding peace, the peace of Christ that passes all understanding. And you can share with them how God is giving you peace. There's great comfort and there's great challenge here. The challenge is to get out of the boat, out of our comfort zone, to share Jesus, the love and the truth of Jesus with others. Have you heard Jesus this morning speaking to you? Have you sensed him nudging you to speak to somebody, to pray to somebody, to reconcile, to show the love and the good news of Jesus? Ask somebody to pray for you and pray with you as you do this because we're never meant to do this alone and we'll see what God will do. Lord, we give this to you. We thank you that you're the one who meets us in the middle of the storm. You help us, you rescue us, and you train us to even have greater faith. Would you help us to step out of the boat, to follow you with boldness and courage, to be people who are reconcilers, who are sharing the love and the truth of Jesus with others in our lives. Help us, we pray, because we want to follow you, Lord Jesus, out of the boat. In Jesus' name we pray.